When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Wednesday Buckeye Talk. It's Doug Lamarace. Let's get right to the rants. We'll start off with number 10. From the 205, Kyle McCord and offensive coordinators in general handling the backups. I get not wanting to put the backups play on film. Because Ryan Day isn't the only person that does this. But I would like to see the actual offense run by McCord and the backups. I cannot stand to see him hand the ball off 30 times and get three and four passes when you have to get him eight to 12 passes. Have reps that are important as a former quarterback myself. Uh, Practice and in-game reps just feel different. This is heavy metal Buckeye is saying this. And this is one more person who wants to see a little more out of Kyle McCord. This is from the 317 Doug. This is Zach from Indy. It's time to let Kyle actually play when the backups go in. Enough of this having him just hand the ball off to be more respectful of the opponent. Crap. This is power five football for Pete's sake. If the opponent is and is, if the opponent has the ones out and is trying to keep up with OSU's twos, then just shut it all the way down. What are we doing? This is a sport where kids basically maul each other for entertainment, and we're worried about people's feelings. So that's Zach and Indy and Heavy Metal Buckeye checking in on Kyle McCord. So this is something that Ryan Day talked about on Tuesday um, at interviews, and I completely agree with both texters here. Uh, Ryan Day said, and what's the quote? He said, you try to be sensitive to that in those moments, but at the same time, you'd like to get him ret. So we try to create a, sh- a few short passes for him. When the game gets a certain way, you don't want to try to upstage somebody. You can't upstage anybody who is sharing TV money with you. That is my philosophy on this. You cannot upstage a conference opponent, and especially when that conference opponent is Wisconsin and is supposed to be the best program in the West. So this is a discussion to me for Toledo and Arkansas State. You're paying those guys a million bucks. There's a talent disparity. You don't want to embarrass anybody. You don't want to hurt anybody. But in the Big Ten, it is impossible to upstage anybody. It is impossible to rub it in. This is why Ohio State shares the money equally. So if you share the money equally, you've got to share, um, what's the word I want to look for? Like, Like you can't, then you share the feelings equally. And the feelings are, for 60 minutes, we're going to go, and that's it. And they have to get McCord reps. Ryan Day, it wasn't just us. It wasn't just you guys who talked about C.J. Stroud had never thrown a pass 
when he was Justin Fields' backup in 2020, he did get a little action. But when C.J. Stroud became the starting quarterback in 2020, 2021, he had never thrown a college football pass before. Ryan Day acknowledged that. So Kyle McCord has thrown some passes. He has thrown, he's played 31 snaps so far this year in 2022. And he's 8 of 11 passing for 134 yards and a touchdown. I, we're, we continue to get this. Listen, we're doing these rants. I got 130 of them right this week. We put the call out for texters. You guys send them in. We continue to get a lot about the injury report. People are still not happy with how the injury report doesn't seem completely factual. And Ryan Day addressed that. They're going to try to get the injury report. Um, they're going to try to have communication about that a shorter time between them when they talk about it and when it gets handed out to us. So it's the latest, latest, latest info. We continue to have lots about Trevon Henderson and Mayan Williams. There's sort of two sides of that. And then a third side, which is this is great, but some people are really leaning, leaning into Mayan. Some people think Trey is getting too much guff now. And there continues to be an idea about why do they keep the players in the game, the first teamers in the game, as long as they do. I think I'm fine with keeping in the starters. And you've got to let C.J. Stroud play. You guys kind of know where I stand on that. But when you put the backups in, you got to keep playing. To put the backup quarterback in and turn him into a handoff machine is ridiculous to me in Big Ten play. So, like, the idea of upstaging Wisconsin, who are you supposed to play? Who's Kyle McCord allowed to play against if he if you have to think about Wisconsin's feelings? Wisconsin, when Ohio State put backup defensive guys in, Wisconsin handed the ball to Braylon Allen, and he ran 75 yards for a touchdown. There was no feelings there. So, I it, it boggles my mind. I don't—whose feelings— how can Wisconsin be offended? Wisconsin should absorb whatever Ohio State is handing out and let it motivate them to be better, man. I mean, this is a, it's an odd thing, and I absolutely do believe you've got to get Kyle McCord as many real reps in real game situations. I think he should be running the same stuff that CJ is running. So I completely agree with you guys. I'm a, I'm a little surprised that Ryan Day talked about it that way, but... That's where we are, and I'm on your side. And um, if this can, like, again, so your only choices are you're in a barn burner of a game where the backup never gets in, or if the backup gets in, now it's feelings time. Odd to me. Odd to me. You guys are right. All right, number nine, Tommy Eichenberg from the 614. We can't give all the credit for Tommy Eichenberg's turnaround to Jim Knowles. As a light went off late last season for Tommy, he was giving off serious tough Borland vibes earlier in 2021, which scared the heck out of me. Another four years of that, and I would have lost my mind and my voice from yelling at the TV. That said, Knowles' defense allows the linebackers to see ball, get guy with the ball, and play instinctual football. It is beyond a pleasant surprise to see it all coming together so soon. I don't know that many people that expected this, especially with so many of the same players from last year's team. Knowles is a, will, a wizard. That's from... Uh, Nelson Morales. Let's do another linebacker one. This is from a new texter in the 513. Welcome aboard. For the past few years, and especially coming off last year, I never would have imagined a time when I thought I had more confidence in the linebackers to do their job than I did the D-line in the secondary. Alas, this is where I am. I know the linebackers playing don't have the upside that the guys playing on the rest of the defense do, but they do their jobs and they do it well. Last one, we're getting progressively more excited about Tommy Eichenberg as we go here. From the 7-4-0, Tommy Eichenberg is going to be the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. Now, that's a that's a take. He is a classic, old-school built linebacker who is really making a huge impact on the defense. So I don't think we can deny his impact. 
And when you talk about that, the light came on last year. Of course, he was the defensive player of the game in the Rose Bowl. But he was, to me, he was a particular kind of linebacker, which was a catch running backs against a running team kind of linebacker. And we certainly have seen Ohio State play more teams like that early on here, right? That, you know, the the team they probably had the most trouble with um, was Toledo in some ways because of Daquan Finn, who could slide around. But... Notre Dame, um, they did a great job with Michael Mayer, but they also, you know, it's a certain style of team that tried to kind of slow it down. Wisconsin, we know the run game there, no real threat in the pass game. So I do think we have seen teams so far that fit what Tommy Eichenberg wants to do, but he also is a much, I think he's more athletic. I think he absolutely has an understanding. Again, I've mentioned James, we have a lot of Tommy Eichenberg conversations because one of the main, it's an excitable take. It's like, this guy is so much better. Isn't that a wonderful thing? We have three guys, I think, on this team, and I think maybe we have this later, that like, man, they're so much better. And I think it's Tommy Eichenberg, Cade Stover, and Mayan Williams. And so we continually, with these rants and takes, we do get a lot along those lines. And I read them all, I read them all, I read them all. But I think there is a combination here of Jim Knowles using him correctly, Jim Knowles and Tommy Eichenberg, and I think Jim Knowles has it with a couple guys, a mind meld, right? I think he has it with Ronnie Hickman. I think he has it with Jack Sawyer. I think he has it with Tommy Eichenberg, where they are they are understanding the defense and executing exactly what Jim Knowles wants to do, and Jim Knowles does want to be aggressive. So Tommy Eichenberg is blitzing, is making plays in the hole, but also I still have a little bit of a question, I guess, like in space against a team that might spread it out a little bit, but again, like who in the Big Ten is going to do that? And so he's playing very well against the teams they're playing, which is all you can ask. And I do think I believe in him more. I really kind of thought he was a more of a one-note linebacker a year ago. If you're playing a physical run team, Tommy Eichenberg can be your guy. If you're not, what's the deal? I think there's a lot of reason to have more belief, but I also think we have seen sort of a perfect situation so far of what Eichenberg does best, Knowles is bringing that out. Tommy Eichenberg has gotten better. They have developed guys. So, like, the question of the, 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 the takiest take, could he be the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year? I actually, like, that's not impossible. If he puts up gigantic tackle numbers, and Ohio State is clearly the best team, and there's not a sack monster in the Big Ten, you know, what is Jack Campbell was like the preseason defensive player of the year in the Big Ten. What is the difference between Jack Campbell and Tommy Eichenberg? I don't know. I can't pretend that I've watched every snap of Iowa defensively, but that's a one-note team that's all about defense. Everyone's talking about, oh, Michigan's going to Iowa City. That's where top 10 teams go to die, this Iowa defense. You know, that's if, if Jack Campbell can be a Big Ten defensive player of the year candidate, then I think Tommy Eichenberg in a much improved Ohio State defense where more often than not, more, more much more often than not, you're facing, facing a more physical run-first offense that's not really threatening you in the pass, I, I think it is possible. I think it is possible. Now, is he? does that mean he's going to be an All-American and be up there with the best linebackers in the country? Um, maybe not, but could he be the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year? I don't know. I don't know if you can put money on that. I don't think they have... I don't think they have bets for that. I don't know. I don't really know what the betting is still yet. But um, you could sprinkle a little bit on that, right? I mean, who knows? But again, enthusiasm for Tommy Eichenberg is noted. More enthusiasm. There's not, I mean, who's not enthusiastic about Ohio State football right now? When we first did the rants, there was some consternation because I think we did them after Notre Dame. There's not a lot of consternation anymore, which is great 
because they're playing really, really well. All right, from the 513, Justin Fry, that's the offensive line coach, has had a huge impact that might be even greater than Jim Knowles' impact. LOL. I know it's a hot take, but Fry has been huge. That's from the 513. That's pretty hot, but I like it. This is Scott in the 513. I think Justin Fry has made a positive change to the way the offensive line plays. By having actual guards playing guard, that's helping this team with the running game. One of the problems last year was they weren't getting the other team's defensive tackles and nose guards moved back. Also, trying to get those long tackle-type uh, tackle bodies up and moving to pull and be a lead blocker for the back was never there. To trade jo- Donovan Jackson's ability for Thayer Munford is such an upgrade. I believe, faced with the same choice last year, Fry would have chosen guards instead of tackles in that situation. The downside to this, and hopefully um, uh, hopefully a national championship, the downside to the success... He doesn't think there really is a downside, but the downside is I think Justin will be like Jeff Halfley and go be a head coach somewhere next year. That's Scott in the 513. So again, if those are your problems, your coaches are so good, other people are stealing them. That's a very good problem to have, although it clearly had an effect with Jeff Halfley, who was here in 2019. The defense was great. He was the coordinator. He was gone after a year. I don't know that Justin Fry, we've talked a lot about the Justin Fry, Tom Allen coach and waiting for Indiana football. Um, will Indiana pull the trigger that quickly. Tom Allen got an extension after they had, you know, the big year in 2020. Maybe not. I think he could wait. You know, Jeff Halfley had a kind of particular window because he was a Northeast guy. Rutgers and BC were both open that year, I think. And it was like, hey, if he's going to go where he fits culturally the best and has the best recruiting ties, this is probably, these are the openings that would fit him to be- the best. So, and not everybody thought that Boston College was worth jumping for for him at that point. But that was a particular thing. I don't know that Justin Fry, like Justin Fry, I don't think is going to come from UCLA, come to Ohio State and leave for a Mac job because I think he would rather wait and see if he can jump higher than that immediately. So I think there's left. The Halfley thing was kind of weird, right? That's unusual to have a guy jump that quickly. I would not bet on that. But the idea that Justin Fry's made an impact, I do think in defense of Greg Stoudrawa a little bit, you got to play the guys you have. And last year, the emergence of Dewan Jones, which remains a success story for Greg Stoudrawa. Get that guy, develop that guy, diamond in the rough has become obviously a really, really good right tackle. I don't know, you know, Matt Jones just didn't win the job in camp. And if you want to get Dewan on the field, you're not going to take... Paris Johnson or Thayer Munford out of the starting lineup. So they, it, I don't think the tack, I, I agree that it is better. I think, especially um, pulling in the run game and that kind of thing. I, it's fun to have four tackles, but I do think there's something to having true guards in there. So I agree with that. I don't know that that's Justin Fry and that that Fry gets credit for that. And stud gets points off for that because they had four tackles last year. It kind of is what it is. Now, the recruiting that might have led to that, that led to some gaps in the in the guards or whatever, right? That could be more on stud. But is Justin Fry making an impact? Ryan Days acknowledged that. The offensive line is playing really, really well. Would you say it's a greater impact than Knowles? That is hot. That is, that's about as hot as you get. Because, like, everybody sees the impact that Jim Knowles is making. But maybe it's closer than we think. Because, and we'll have to see... Um, against a defense where they really, really do have to run the ball. You know, 
Are they get are they really gonna have to run it on third and two? I again the thing last week that I loved was that they spread them out and ran it. And you let that athletic offensive line get out, and then it wasn't just hammer them up the middle. So I don't think anybody's disagreeing with how important Justin Fry has been. I'll tell you what, man, it feels like all the hires, Ryan Day made four pretty good. Perry Eliano, Tim Walton, and Jim Knowles on the defensive side of the ball. Justin Fry on the offensive side of the ball. Pretty good so far. It's a, it's a month in. Pretty good so far. Pretty good so far. And I do, like, it's way up there. Hiring good people is it's why I hammer it when I don't think the hire is good. Hiring good people, because there are so many out there. You know, it's not, like I always say, it's, there's not, you don't have to scrounge around to get good assistant coaches to come to Ohio State. But it's so important to pull from the correct pool, right? To pull from qualified people with energy and intelligence and and passion and teaching ability and recruiting ability. It's so important to pull from the right pool that um, you can see when it when it hits, right? And it should hit. That's the thing. Like I don't I don't want to give Ryan. Day, it's not that. You can't go overboard with giving Ryan Day credit for giving Jim Knowles $2 million a year. Everybody in the country wanted Jim Knowles, but Ohio State got him. So you do get credit for it, but also this is what should happen. When you replace coaches, this is what should happen because so many assistants want to come to Ohio State. So absolute credit to Justin Fry. We all see it with the offensive line. Will he be out the door in a year? I'd be shocked, but he's absolutely making an impact. Quick break. When we come back, let's talk about Rutgers. Let's talk about Wisconsin. Let's talk about LeBron James. Let's talk about Jackson Smith and Jigba. Let's talk about a bunch of other things next on the Rant Podcast on Buckeye Talk. All right. Doug Lamarie's back. This, of course, is the Rant Podcast where we ask texters to send in rants and hot takes. Got over 130 of them this week. Read through every single one of them. Can't use them all. I'm using as many as I can. We're going to, I think, Use one of the 10, try to have 10 questions. We're going to do like a lightning round within one of the questions to cover a bunch of little things, funny things, personal things that people sent in. Um, I love reading them all, but it's it's like a lot of positive stuff. We do have some stuff at the end about could this Ohio State, are we looking at a mini dynasty? That's how excited people are. A mini dynasty, a mini dynasty for Ohio State. Talk a little bit more about CJ Stroud, plus Jackson Smith and Jigba when we move along here. But we want to talk about why Rutgers stinks because it's Rutgers week and it is what it is. This is Brandon in Portsmouth. I absolutely hate the way we have to play Rutgers every year. I don't know what else to say about that. Then Brandon went on to talk about the availability report, which continues to really have people aggravated. So we continue to monitor that. But I wanted to include the fact that he hates playing Rutgers because who doesn't hate playing Rutgers? It's a unifying thing. If you're an Ohio State fan and you're looking for a conversation starter with somebody this week, say, hey, yo, like did the head nod. Hey, hey, hey. You hate playing Rutgers? What a conversation you guys will have. From the 614, as a Columbus native who's recently relocated to Florida, the only thing worse than awaiting my first hurricane would be being forced to travel to Piscataway to watch Ohio State bludgeon Rutgers for the umpteenth time. I feel for Nathan and Steven. Doug took the path of least, uh, least resistance last year and left the gang hanging. It was truly shameful. I guess my rant is why can't Rutgers be better? Sheesh. Listen, man. I, I love, I love, I, I, we, I go see the shows. I go see the, the Broadway shows, but I don't, and then you go to a diner afterwards. So I don't mind going to New Jersey. I just mind the game that's taking place um, that I have to go watch. But this one's at home. From the 614, I feel like Rutgers should be nicknamed Delaney's Folly. 
I seriously believe that Ohio State's streak of wins over Ohio schools will end before its streak of wins over conference opponent Rutgers. The Big Ten should continue to expand just so Ohio State doesn't have to play Rutgers every year. Um, I'm going to touch on that in a second because I actually think there's going to be some relief coming here. And then there's one more about Greg Schiano, though, from the 513. Last time Ohio State played Rutgers at home in the 2020 season, I remember Greg Schiano pulling out all the stops, multiple trick plays, an onside kick, the whole nine yards. I remember it being frustrating as heck because it only resulted in a 49-27 point win during a season where Ohio State really needed all the style points it could get as this was the COVID season. Am I crazy for hoping, though, that Greg Schiano and Rutgers come into Ohio Stadium with similar tactics again this weekend. It would give the team in-game experience handling gimmick plays that they have not yet seen, and I want to see how much better the Jim Knowles defense um, can keep their composure. As bad as Rutgers is, this is a team that still threw for 300 yards in a tough Iowa defense, so I wouldn't hate seeing them give the young Ohio State corners the test that Graham Mertz and Wisconsin failed to deliver last week. Style points are not necessary this year. So I do think that's interesting. It's... um, I don't think it's incompetence by Greg Schiano. It's just a level of where that program is, and I don't know that it's ever going to dig out of it enough to challenge Ohio State. As you guys know, whatever many years ago I wrote, Ohio State will never lose to Rutgers. So that remains my stance on that. So I do believe that too. I believe that an upstart MAC team from Ohio has a better chance of coming in here and beating Ohio State than Rutgers does. Now, I do think Greg Schiano will come in and do what I want opponents to do in Ohio State, which is take a shot which is not just do what you do and be who you are. And we're going to get to Wisconsin next because some people are as aggravated with Wisconsin as I am. So I do think that could be a good thing. And I do think that might happen. But I also think we are going to get to a world where maybe sooner than later, I still think the Big Ten is going to continue to expand. I I don't think this is going to be a 16-team league with just adding UCLA and USC in 2024 for all that long. I think they're going to have to bring in some more West Coast teams. I think Notre Dame eventually gets in here, and they are going to go away from divisions. They really are. And once they're away from divisions, Ohio State's not going to play Rutgers every year. Because whether it's going to be a system where you might be in a four- or a five-team pod, so if you go to a 16-team league, you could have four four-team pods where you play those teams every year, but everything else kind of rotates. If you have 20 teams, you could have four or five team pods where you play those four opponents every year, but everything else rotates. I don't think, listen, the only, the only team that Ohio state is absolutely going to play every year from now until the end of time is Michigan. Everything else is debatable. Gene Smith told me he would like to see if you go to no divisions and you have crossover rivalries maintained, he would like to see Penn state be maintained that that's, Nothing's like Michigan, but Penn State is above the rest in terms of that. You can't only have the best teams play the best teams every year. So I guess I guess there would be a small thing of like, could you have a pod where Ohio State and Penn State and Rutgers are like all in the same pod and you do wind up playing? Ugh, now I'm talking about myself. I don't think that's going to happen. I do really think you might get to where World War, even without these pod things. Because the thing would be if a pod is like, you're in a pod, you play, say you're in a a five-team pod, right? So there's it's 20-team Big Ten. You're in a five-team pod. Those are four-year games every year. And then every three years, like you rotate playing one of the other pods. So you play every other team in the conference every three years. That's nine conference games. And then you also have a crossover rival that you play every year no matter what. So maybe that's 10 conference games. So could that be like a 10-team, 10, 10 conference games in the Big Ten? right? And then two non-conference in the 20-team Big Ten, and you don't play Rutgers every year. That might be the one good thing about expansion. 
that you lose, like if you don't play Penn State every year, that'd be a loss. If you don't play Rutgers every year, that would be a win because who wants to play Rutgers every year? But I do appreciate the fact that I do think Greg Schiano understands what's the point of coming in and just only doing what we do. Let's try to do something. Let's try to have a little gumption. Let's try to, and again, it's not necessarily trick plays, although he'll certainly run trick plays. But but take your shot, man. Take some risks and challenge Ohio State and the idea that, hey, I like your fan saying, as one of the texters said, I like when Rutgers comes in and gives something Ohio State, gives Ohio State something to think about. I, I, I appreciate that too. So I do think actually from the standpoint of take your shot, Rutgers might be ahead of Wisconsin from the, from the standpoint of ever having a chance to beat them. They are far behind Wisconsin. Although Wisconsin is not that high. We'll get to Wisconsin right now. All right, from the 419 on Wisconsin, Wisconsin didn't have a plan against Ohio State like Toledo or Notre Dame because it believes it's basically on the same level as Ohio State. They think they can run their system and beat them. Until they accept that it will take more than that, more than their normal game, they will never take the next step as a program. Ohio State's won nine straight. Hasn't happened, hasn't, uh, Wisconsin hasn't beaten Ohio State since 2010. Listen, the Barry Alvarez style was a thorn in Jim Trestle's side for a while there. But back then, they played more of the same. So if you had a real a real physical Wisconsin team with a great offensive line and a great running back, and Tress was trying to win with defense and special teams, it's that Wisconsin has stayed the same, and Ohio State has sort of evolved away from Wisconsin. And so I respect the idea that's the identity of the conversation. We'll get out of this quick. I respect the idea that Wisconsin is good at something and that works most of the time, but it has not worked against Ohio State. They have, and again, we covered it, the Big Ten Championship games. They've given them some games a couple times, but there's a frustration level, I think, that maybe is developing with Paul Christ. It's certainly not as bad as like a, as a place like Iowa, but um, it's it's a tough thing, right? We, we always talk about Wisconsin like the identity is a good thing. Maybe we're reaching the point where when Wisconsin plays Ohio State, the identity, the, the hardcore identity of Wisconsin is a bad thing. That's holding them back because that identity is not going to win. And they're so stuck to it that there's no other answer. From the 330, hey, Doug, I know this is an Ohio State pod, but my rant is about Wisconsin. I'm done hearing Wisconsin in um, the Big Ten playoff contender conversation. Big Ten champ playoff contender conversation. Doesn't want to hear it anymore. I understand that Wisconsin has a, quote, identity, and Paul Chris doesn't want to deviate from that. But my goodness, you're down 28 nothing, and he's still running the ball on first and second down. Teams like Wisconsin and Iowa, who are stuck in the 1980s, will never be serious consideration for the playoff. Get with the times, Wisconsin. College football is passing you by. That's the thing, and I guess I, guess I got hoodwinked by, by Graham Mertz. That's what this was supposed to be. They hired a new offensive coordinator in Bobby Ingram, and they wanted to get to a more balanced off offensive style of passing the ball and running the ball. And we saw what we saw last week. They still didn't seem to have that balance. I think they got scared off by the early pick. The quarterback didn't play well. Like, I, I, I completely agree with this. I think they thought they were trying. Like, to get a top 100 national player like Graham Mertz, they, they thought they were maybe headed this way, and, like, it still hasn't worked. I think you do have to question, listen, Paul Christ was a quarterback at Wisconsin. We have talked about noodle arms at Wisconsin so long. I do think you maybe have to question their quarterback development. That 
if you can't take Graham Mertz and make him look different, because when, when Nathan last week was talking about kind of like same old noodle arm stuff for Wisconsin QB, I really thought, no, it's not. It's not. But it sure looked like it. Sure looked. I mean, Nathan was on it. Sure looked like the same. So why can't the only, you know, the guy that they had fall on their lap was Russell Wilson for a year. So unless you're going to have an NFL quarterback transfer in for a year, are you ever going to develop a quarterback that's going to allow you to take the next step? So I don't know. It's hard to abandon the good in pursuit of the great, but I think that's what they face right now. And I do just think if you went to a defensive head coach in Jim Leonard, who's a defensive coordinator now, although he certainly didn't cover himself in glory last week, if you go to a defensive head coach who allows you to try something different offensively, because then if it doesn't work, you can get rid of that offensive coordinator and go to the next one. So I do just think they're at a pivot point a little bit, and it's not that they're bad, but it's that they're stuck a little bit. And I do think it, it the worst of that is shows up against a team like Ohio State. This is a little broader in the Big Ten West from the 614, but the same category to me. It legitimately annoys me how Big Ten West teams such as Wisconsin, Iowa, etc., year after year have elite defenses that are constantly held back by bad offensive play. These schools stink at recruiting top-tier quarterbacks and receivers. I know Graham Mertz was a high recruit, but clearly he hasn't panned out. The fact that Iowa has become so content with allowing Brian Ferentz to be at the helm of the offense is ridiculous to me. I don't know if it's Kirk's ego, Kirk Ferentz the dad, that refuses to fire his son, but something's got to give. I really enjoyed watching Ohio State's offense light the shoe on fire last Saturday against Wisconsin, but I couldn't help but think about how far Wisconsin has fallen. They've been on a steady decline ever since that 2019 season, and Paul Chris simply is not the answer. So um, continuing down this line, this person's saying like, hey, you get new TV contracts, you sort of expect a higher thing. We went through a shift where when the Big Ten network money came in, the coaching did get better in the Big Ten. And that was back in that day. That's why Brett Bielema said he left because they couldn't pay the assistants. And it was like, man, Wisconsin can't keep Brett Bielema. And he went to the SEC. And I do think... P.J. Fleck at Minnesota, Scott Frost at Nebraska, Jeff Brom at Purdue, Mel Tucker at Michigan State, um, Greg Schiano at Rutgers. You have seen Big Ten schools go out and make relatively big-time hires and then be able to retain those guys. So I don't think it's monetary anymore. I think the, there's a competence. So I don't know. It might take somebody shaking up the West. And I'll be curious to see what this Nebraska hire is going to be like. It also might be P.J. Fleck, because I, I know there's a frustration with the Big Ten West, and I agree with it. But Minnesota right now, they have a veteran quarterback. I think it's been there forever, Tanner Morgan, who's playing well again this year. In 2019, when they went 11-2 and and they were good, they did it with two future NFL receivers and Rashad Bateman and Tyler Johnson. They have a real running back in Mo Ibrahim. PJ's got a little juice, but he has, we knew he had the sizzle. He's had a lot of substance, I think, at Minnesota as well. A lot of people certainly think that Minnesota looks like the best team in the West right now, and they are doing it with with balance, I think, right? And can you recruit? I've always thought, we've talked about it a lot, especially the NIL world. Minneapolis is just a different place than West Lafayette, and Iowa City and East Lansing and some other places, I think you can sell recruits on Minneapolis. It's a cool city. Maybe Minnesota is the answer, and maybe Minnesota will be a little different. So Ohio State and Minnesota don't play in the regular season, obviously. But who would you rather see Ohio State face in the Big Ten championship game if the Buckeyes get there? 
I mean, you've kind of seen enough of Wisconsin. You've seen enough of Northwestern. I don't know that anybody wants to see Iowa after Michigan, what Michigan did to Iowa in the Big Ten championship game, championship game last year. I think maybe it is Minnesota. So could that be a long-term play where Minnesota goes about it a little bit differently? I mean, they sort of have that reputation of having great running backs there too, but maybe maybe they can find some dudes to throw it a little bit. So that might be the hope of the West. And but but part of it is I almost think you need to break up the divisions, right? That if if you're focused because the people in the West, everybody in the East, James Franklin, Tom Allen, Greg Schiano, Mel Tucker, they're looking to say, how is this our, Mike Loxley, how is this our life? We're stuck in this Eastern division where there's four, there's two, there's one super elite program, two really good programs in Michigan and Penn State, one that certainly can have a peak like Michigan State. And who in the West is like that? Only Wisconsin. And now we're sitting here complaining about Wisconsin, right? But in the West, the threshold is pretty low to win the West. And I think everybody in the West, their goal is to win the West. I don't think anybody in the West thinks about the playoff or they only think about it in like, well, win the West and then, you know, hope for a roll of the dice in the big 10 championship game. And maybe you're in not that you're as good, but on one Saturday you win because you just take care of the division and then take your shot in one game. Maybe if you break up the West, if we get rid of divisions or we go to pods or whatever it is, we're no longer East West. Maybe that would do it because you wouldn't have a lower standard that I think exists now. And then maybe that would affect a style of play. I also think I think somebody in the West should go crazy back like triple option kind of stuff. Maybe Wisconsin should go back, you know, excuse me, Nebraska should go back 40 years because you can be dynamic in the run game, but be different. Don't just be what everybody is right now, which is like a solid defense. But again, we've talked about this. The defensive, statistically, when you say, hey, the you know the Big Ten is five of the ten best defenses in the country, that's always statistically. And a lot of that is driven by the fact, or at least some of it's driven by the fact, that the offenses aren't very good. So you're constantly playing mediocre to bad offenses, which props up the defensive stats. So I do think it makes it look, the Wisconsin defense, the Iowa defense, those kind of schools where they're always up there statistically, it's like, are they? Or are they just living on the fact that they're playing Ryan Holinsky? So... Um, also watch for Brett Bielema. Not that he's going to throw it around, but, and it's funny, it's like the, we're sick of Wisconsin, but is Bielema building a version of Wisconsin at Illinois that will just be a more successful version of actual Wisconsin? I don't know. Tommy DeVito, their transfer quarterback, is playing really well this year, so maybe he's going to open it up a little bit. But I do think Bielema, you're on alert for Bielema, uh, because I do think the West is a little stale right now. I do think the West is a little bit stale. So I agree with everybody here. And like, I think it's okay to be frustrated by it. Like, you care about your conference, right? Not that the Big Ten goes around doing Big Ten chants, but, like, we care about this stuff. It's okay to care about the people around you. This is a LeBron James comment from the 614. Here's my rant. I'm tired of every time LeBron James even has a minor thought about college football becomes, look at what LeBron said about this. It's all just, look at me, narcissistic behavior by LeBron. Ohio State Athletics loves clinging to every tweet, emoji, or word spoken by him. I understand he's the best basketball player of our generation, and he likes Ohio State. But Fox, ESPN, the Big Ten Network, and Ohio State Athletics absolutely loves any time he has something to say about a game on TV. Why? It's exhausting. It's a waste of energy. I'm 35, so I'm not a get-off-my-lawn kind of guy, but surely I'm not the only one who thinks this, that's Anthony in Columbus. So, I will say this. 
imagine if Tom Brady tweeted about Michigan football as often as LeBron tweets about Ohio State football. Or imagine if Michael Phelps or Derek Jeter tweeted about Michigan football as much as LeBron tweets about Ohio State football. Or if Micah Parsons or Saquon Barkley tweeted as much about Penn State football as LeBron does. Um, I'm trying to think of other examples. Who are other cool athletes in the if Russell Wilson tweeted about Wisconsin football as much as LeBron tweets about Ohio State football. I all I think you might be jealous is my point. If Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, was out there just like every Michigan game was tweeting four times a game and praising Michigan and giving Michigan good vibes and letting Michigan absorb some of that reputation from him. I think Ohio State might kind of be like, I mean, you'd probably be like, oh, I wish Tom Brady would would cram it, right? But I think you kind of might be jealous. Like, why don't we have a guy like that? So I actually think that LeBron does it so much that it's taken for granted, but it is pretty in, like, if you can, it's hard to take a step back because it's so constant, but if you can take a step back a little bit and that LeBron James is one of the 10 defining athletes of his generation, probably one of the five, maybe one of the three, maybe the one defining athlete of his generation. And he tweets about Ohio State football like a regular fan. It is pretty crazy. It really is. So I, I guess I understand what you're saying. Maybe. And again, I respect the fact that maybe you're not reacting to LeBron. You're reacting to the way people react to LeBron because I've talked about that. I like doing that too. I wish the networks would chill out about it. But I do think we have to remember he is super famous. What if Michael Jordan was just sit around, sitting around tweeting about North Carolina basketball? What if Giannis was sitting around tweeting about, ah, I'm a huge Badger fan now. Oh, I can't believe, you know, Braylon Allen, what a run. Giannis, that'd be crazy. So I guess I understand the idea of chill out TV networks with it, showing every LeBron tweet, but I still would maybe not take for granted generally the idea that one of the most famous athletes ever loves Ohio State football just like you do and readily expresses it, which is kind of crazy, especially since he didn't go here. He's just a guy. He's like a lot of you. He's just a guy from Ohio who moved away and still loves the Buckeyes. That the Buckeyes are a touch point for him with his Ohio roots. Now, he has other touch points. He has a school Right. I mean, he's a pretty big Ohio guy, but that that is that is what sports does. I left, but I still care about my where I'm from. And how do I express that? I express that by rooting for the home state football team. So maybe chill out TV, but also maybe generally kind of just realize LeBron's just like you. All right, we're going to kind of like a rapid fire rant here, which we haven't done before, but uh, I have so many little quick hitters that are funny or and or interesting 
that we're going to kind of run through uh, a bunch of them in, in lieu of a full meaty uh, fourth question. All right. Let's uh, some of it. Uh, oh, this this is a McGriddle one. McGriddle one. I, I like McGriddle rants. From the two seven zero, Christian here. My rant is about Nathan. How can a McDonald's savant, as we understand him to be, never have tried a McGriddle? I was shocked and disappointed to hear this. Mostly hyperbolic, but I thought it was as good as a rant as any in this Rutgers week. Um, we could call him. Should we call him McRutgers? We can pretend that like Rutgers is just like a, a it's like a, a menu item uh, at McDonald's that like once a year. It's like the Shamrock Shake or the McRib. It's like oh the McRutgers is back for a week. It's like oh you're gonna get the McRutgers. It's like ah I don't really like it that much. It's one of those things. It's not real meat, but it's slathered in that Big Ten sauce. So. You know, I guess I'll try it just because it's going to be gone soon. And this is my only... No, no one actually actually thinks that. Does anybody actually think, oh, well, I don't really want to go. I don't want to watch the Rutgers game. But, you know, you only get them once a year, so I better take advantage. You just do it. That's a bad example. Like, like, who's the McDonald's in that situation? The Big Ten is McDonald's? Or Ohio State's McDonald's? And then all the other Big Ten teams are menu items on the McDonald's run by Ohio State? And Ryan Day's in the drive-thru, and you're coming through, and now we have to figure out what menu item the other 13 schools are. That feels like an off-season. That feels like an off-season podcast desperation at some point. From the 513, Doug. Counter rant on the use of Buckeye Talk. A recent texter said the person who says something can't be the one who says Buckeye Talk. So we've talked about that where you say, um, you know, this place is filled with idiots. Buckeye talk. That if I say this place is filled with idiots, then Nathan or Steven has to say Buckeye talk because the person the person claimed he didn't want us Buckeye talking ourselves. But this person says, I agreed initially, but upon hearing your new use, I realized that's wrong. Organically, you first started using Buckeye talk on yourselves. It was you and Bill making references to a, a romance novel titles. We did do that, right? Um, yeah, I fell down in the barn. Title number 63, uh, within your comments about Ohio State. That's how it started uh, as an acceptable use, and it flows much better in your conversations. I know this is meaningless, but I had to get it off my chest. Buckeye talk. And I'm bored in this meeting. Buckeye talk. So uh, maybe we'll go back to that. We'll go back to Buckeye talking ourselves. Like, I, I want to please everybody. So maybe we'll have to take a vote. No, nobody said nobody cares enough to vote on it. Uh, okay, this one is from the 304. Doug, please stop saying throwing the ball and say passing the football. That's from Bill in Salem, Massachusetts. Um, Bill also wants them to bring in a quarterback transfer and not be shy about it in this looming offseason after they kind of said no to Eli Ricks this year. Is that a th- is that a point of consternation saying that I say throw instead of pass? I feel like a lot of people now say throw the football instead of pass the football, but again, maybe maybe people have a uh, strong feelings on this, certainly open to debate about the correct verb usage there from the 612 guys just wondering if it's too late to grab a bus ticket on the Cade Stover Express the man is built like a linebacker obviously yet is agile and has hands as soft as the cheek 
of the scarlet and gray angel on C.J. Stroud's shoulder. He's an NFL tight end, and I'm totally here for it. By the way, my 11-year-old daughter saw me typing this, so I showed her what I was writing. She called it cringe, but I'm sending it anyways. Go Bucks. That's Rick and Buffalo. I just like that because I think my daughters think that I'm cringe all the time. I will say uh, Dane Brugler, who is the NFL draft guy for The Athletic and is an Ohio native, and I've known Dane for over a decade. I think he's really good at what he does. He also is an Ohio State fan, so I'm not saying that he doesn't have true evaluations that matter, but sometimes like he lets a little Ohio State fandom leak. I don't even, like, not at his evaluation that he puts in his big book, but when he's talking about guys, but also he is constantly looking at people through the lens of an NFL talent evaluator. He's on the Cade Stover bandwagon. He has been tweeting about Cade Stover and saying that, um, you know, this guy is is as much of a riser almost as anybody around in terms of uh, what he's doing this year and, and getting um, the eyes of the NFL on him. So, it, Rick, tell your kid it's not cringe. From the 217, I dislike the black uniforms and the blackout. I sit in the end zone of C-Deck. I have great difficulty reading the numbers on the black uniforms and no movement stand out in an all-black stadium. I realize I may be old and resistant to change, as I still think it was a mistake to move from Brutus being a full nut to a person in the early 80s. Gary in the 217, I just so very much like the idea of still uh, thinking that Brutus should be a full nut. I don't disagree with it, but I just I just thought that was uh, great. We last week, or was it last week or two weeks ago, we talked about bringing your grandpa to the game from the 614 Happy Rant. This Saturday, I'm taking my eight-year-old son to his first Ohio State game. I picked Rutgers for his first game because, one, Ohio State should win, two cheap tickets, and three, if we leave early, I won't feel bad. In addition, going to attend the Skull Session since my nephew made the band this year as a freshman. That's great. I haven't been to a game since Michigan in 2018, so I'm really excited for this weekend, even if it is Rutgers. Chris, not Beanie. Wells, um, I will never get tired of people sending us notes on the text about being excited about going to an Ohio State game with a family member because, like, this is, like, the whole point, right? So maybe we can make that a weekly thing. You're, you're, you know, you're bringing your husband, you're bringing your daughter, you're bringing your son, you're bringing your aunt, you're bringing your grandma, your grandpa, your friend, somebody who's never been to a game, somebody who hasn't been to a game in a long time, somebody that you've never gone to a game with, you're meeting back up with old friends. Um, That's the best of what we do. And then again, who cares who the opponent is? It's the stadium. It's the people. It's the Buckeyes. And you only get eight of those a year in a huge home schedule like this. You usually only get seven of those a year. So cool. That's what it's all about. This is from the 614. Doug, my rant is toward you. That's me. Love you, Doug, but you are getting this regardless. You get stuck on recruiting rankings for individual players for too long. A recruiting ranking is a great starting point for a player and is very useful for an entire team. However, for each individual player that has been on the field or can't crack the lineup, the fact that they were a five-star should hold little weight. I am, of course, referring in a roundabout way to the Mayan versus Trey debate. It feels like every Buckeye beat reporter is afraid to, afraid to say what is pretty obvious to those watching. Mayan has been a better running back than Trey since about the middle of last year. Trey has more top-line speed, but lacks the vision and wiggle of a great running back. 
I still think Trey is an above average running back, but I don't want to hear about his recruiting ranking as a positive anymore. He has enough film to simply judge him based on his college career, which is still very good statistically. I still do hold out hope that his vision and cutting ability click and he turns into a monster. However, Mayan and even Dallin Hayden, to a lesser degree, look much more natural running the ball. This would not be the first three-star to be better than a five-star, for instance, Chris Olave versus Julian Fleming. Recruiting rankings are a useful tool, but at some point they need to take a backseat to on-field performance in college. Uh, Well stated. I do think sometimes, to me, recruiting ranking is still a stand-in for a discussion about upside and natural talent, that I do think sometimes recruiting rankings cannot be a correct reflection of that. But I think sometimes they still can be a correct reflection of that. And so if you're still looking at a guy and saying, based on what I see in college, I still think there's a higher ceiling if he can get to it. But you do also have to judge a guy on what he's done. So we've all, listen, when, when Tyreek Johnson was here and was a five-star, there, you know, we didn't continue. Um, we didn't have a discussion about, oh man, that guy's got to play because he was a five-star, right? I mean, like there's, um, there's certain, we, we do have to get off it, but I, I do think it is a it is a stand-in for a natural talent discussion sometimes, and maybe we should talk about it more that way. But I also totally get uh, where you are coming from. So um, I'll try to maybe chill out with that. Uh, let's see. This is some stuff. Just every now and then I like it when people uh, like us from the 847. Not as much a rant as an advertisement for the text. I live in Chicago, and my daughter lives in Columbus. She graduated from Ohio State. We went to the game Saturday. We had such a great time reading all the messages before, during, and after. You kept us up to date and entertained. She is not nearly the nut that I am, but has gotten into it more since attending the university. Thank you for helping this empty nester spend some quality time with his daughter. That's Ken from Illinois. That's very nice. And again, am I gonna am I gonna make it do an ad for the tech? Six one four three five zero three three one five for a two week free trial. Like, yeah, of, of course I am. Uh, from the two hundred five. I may send a few rants, but this has to be said first. I love this frickin' show. Love the crew. Such a good time. I've been a listener for about two and a half years now. And let me tell y'all, it's been I've been having a rough couple of days, but I was catching up on my Buckeye talk and on the postgame pod hearing Doug and Steven roast Rutgers had me rolling. Really needed that laugh. Hopefully one day we can get a college game day style Buckeye talk with the meet and greet and all, because I can't be the only fan that would love to link up. OH, fellas, that's heavy metal Buckeye. So that is uh, much appreciated. We would love to do that. I'm pushing for that. We will do it again. Um, I'd like to do an in-season meetup and show, like a live show. I'd love to do a preseason one. Uh, I'm pushing them, man. I'm pushing them. We got to do it. We did a tailgate a couple years ago. So um, we'd love to hang out with you guys, and it's very nice of you to say nice things about us. And, of course, every now and then I'm going to read them. If you want to drop a review, there's a guy, man, there's multiple people who just don't like me. Some people might even say they hate me. And they, some of those people drop reviews, which is fine. They absolutely have that right to do that. But if you haven't, if you listen and you like it and you want to drop a review at Apple Podcasts, uh, we would certainly take that because it just helps if someone's going through and saying, like, hey, I want to try an Ohio State podcast. If they have some good reviews in there, maybe we'll get a few more listeners, and I don't know. It helps our star rating. So if you want to, it's fine. From the 4th row, Doug, not really a rant, but I've been an avid listener since 2018 and appreciate you guys as you fill my Buckeye craving on a weekly basis. However, I only just recently became a tech subscriber due to the fact I was just coming out of college and had to watch my money carefully. I have learned to appreciate you 
all and your takes. It's interesting to hear your analysis due to the fact that none of you started off as Buckeye fans and don't lead towards any bias other than the facts. People might think you're negative, but I always find that I'm looking for the in-depths of was this really a good enough uh, performance after games. Six, six podcasts a week is insane, but that's why you guys are the best. All the love from the 440. Take my money. All right. I'm, I'm, I, just, I allowed myself that briefly. Just briefly, briefly, briefly. couple more things. Uh, let's do one more here. This is one I have thought about this. I don't think we talked about it from the 201. Not sure if this is a real rant, but did you notice that the Dr. Pepper commercial with Bryce Young overtaking the actual son's role in his parents' life, the son is named CJ. Is that an intentional dig that Bryce is better than CJ Stroud? I think maybe Stephen and I did talk about this. It's crazy. Like CJ's just, it's two initials. How did they come up with that? They're like two because DJ Uyunglele was a Dr. Pepper guy last year. Now Bryce Young is a Dr. Pepper guy. And the reference they make is to the other big-time quarterback at a big-time school in that class. How is it? You would almost make sure you didn't say CJ. So Bryce is not writing the script, but like Bryce and CJ know each other. It's so weird. It's not like it's... Steve or Bill, like CJ, that you of all the names in the world, Bryce Young is replacing CJ in that Dr. Pepper family. I noticed it. I almost want to ask. We don't, we love talking to CJ Stroud as we talked about here. I don't think, would I do it? I don't think I could waste a question to Heisman Trophy candidate C.J. Stroud on the fact that the Dr. Pepper replaced son's name is C.J. Would I do that? Probably not, but we'll see how the season goes. All right, when we come back, Jackson Smith and Jigba, C.J. Stroud, mini dynasty next on Buckeye Talk Rants. All right, this is a Jackson Smith and Jigba conversation that is really speculative, but people are talking about it and we're going to try to... Um, be as respectful to Jackson Smith and Jigba as we can in this conversation because this is a really skilled player dealing with an injury. From the 573, is Jackson Smith and Jigba still a first round draft pick? This should have been a statement year for him. I'm afraid missing so many games will cost him. What are the chances that he comes back? So, one of the things that people are wondering about is somehow could this lead to Jackson Smith and Jigba? If this hamstring injury continues to linger, and it sounds like he's probably not going to go against Rutgers this week, he did come back, play briefly against Toledo, did not play against Wisconsin, got hurt initially against Notre Dame. Could this lead to him being on the team next year? Some people are wondering about that. From the 614, if Jackson Smith and Jigba misses more than half the season, how much will that hurt his draft status, and would it bring him back to the loaded wide receiver room? How would it affect the rest of the room and recruits? Would we be looking at another Olave returning slash Jameis Williams leaving case with a guy like Ballard potentially leaving? Okay, so that's that's one of the parts of this, the idea of Jackson Smith and Jigba being back. Here's the other side of this that people are, again, this is a rant and take podcast from the 330. I hope this take is wrong, but Jackson Smith and Jigba won't play another down for Ohio State. That is a hot take, uh, pretty hot, pretty take, pretty takey take. And the comparison that a couple people have brought up is Nick Bosa in 2018. From the 740, this is Brian. 
I'm trying to be positive and not questioning athletes' health, but I'm really starting to feel that Jackson Smith and Jigba is not going to play any more snaps this year and is just going to Nick Bosa this season. He is solidified as a high draft pick, but it is disappointing to a selfish fan like myself who loves to watch greatness in action. And one more on this. This is from the 419. Do you think Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to pull a Nick Bosa and be done for the year and declare for the draft? I don't think so, but Twitter reporters are predicting it. So this is most of this is just a in the real world how stuff works um, with draft status conversation. One thing. So Nick Bosa in 2018, if people uh, remember, had a a torso injury, right? Um and got hurt in week three against TCU and was going to be out for basically the whole year. Maybe could have come back for bowl season, but basically decided that he was going to just kind of go and start preparing for the draft and his Ohio State career was going to be over. So I talked to John Bosa, his dad, um, during that. And I think we do have to understand that like the Bosa's just had so much football experience that John Bosa himself had been a first-round pick. Joey had gone through it and was in the NFL as a top-five NFL draft pick. Their uncle, Eric Kumaro, was a first-round NFL draft pick. They had so much NFL experience that they took, I think, a super pragmatic NFL-focused approach to that because they, they lived it, right? And I'm not saying that that's good or bad, but not every family is like that. And not, and I think your past experiences affect your view of things. Jackson Smith and Jigba from an athletic family. His brother is a minor league, is a, is a baseball player. He's been in the majors this year. They understand athletics as well. Did the whole family play in the NFL? No. So I think we just have to keep that in mind. I just think from a outside generic family perspective, they're probably coming at it from a di- little bit of a different place. One of the other things we have to think about is the pandemic showed us that guys missing time had little to no effect on their draft status and zero effect for the best guys on their transition to the NFL. Both Micah Parsons and Jamar Chase, for example, didn't play their last year in college. Both went super high in the draft and both have been immediate, huge impact guys in the league. So when you look at that, Jackson Smith and Jigba, just frankly speaking, does not need this season of Ohio State football to be a high draft pick and a successful NFL receiver. He doesn't. He's shown it. He's going to show it more at the combine. He's going to show it more in individual NFL workouts. And I think whether he plays or not, the idea of him having to come back next year for his NFL status, I think is not the issue at all. That that he could go to the NFL right now and he's put enough on film and he's going to show people more in workouts that that's not a consideration. So then would he shut it down? It can be hard with an injury. We've already seen like he came back and then he didn't play. So like just generally speaking, that's maybe not exactly how you would want that to go, right? So if you have an injury that is lingering, and I do think it is a next was like a weird injury that was really just going to take a long time to heal. I don't know where we are with that with Jackson, but I think it's bottom line is I think it's fair for people to be thinking about this. Jackson Smith and Jigma does not need to play college football to help him get ready for the NFL anymore. And players have to think about their futures and the money they're going to make in the NFL when they make these considerations. It's not the only thing they think about. 
They love their teammates. They love their program. They love playing college football. But it's a great big pot. So I don't want people to get too fired up about this. But it is something that I understand why people are thinking about it. Can you predict it? You know, Ari Wasserman used to always joke, these guys should just move to Malibu in the middle of the season. Why do they even play, right? Like, why did Chase Young even play in 2019? Just come be Chase Young for a year and then just go start preparing for the NFL draft, right? So, I mean, there's... Should guys be able to go out of high? I mean, it's, it's this great big conversation and it's complicated. But as I always say, like playing football is fun. Playing football is fun. But once you have an injury, that complicates it, right? I don't think we're ever going to get to the point where guys are just bailing for no reason. But an injury is a reason. So that's not a great answer. You can discuss it with your friends. I hope everybody who does it is respectful of a young man who's trying to get healthy. And wants to play and came into this season with great hopes and great expectations and has had an unfortunate injury. So, but this is, this, we are having, I think, different kinds of conversations about this than we used to. And I don't have any inside information on this, but I, I would not automatically link up Nick Bosa and Jackson Smith and Jigba just because I think they come from different backgrounds, different experiences that probably makes them view the NFL at least a little bit differently. I don't know if that helped, but I think it was worth putting out there. All right, C.J. Stroud and Heisman talk. This is this from the 567. C.J. Stroud deserves way more Heisman hype than he is getting. 16 touchdowns to just one pick through four games is absurd, and he's done it against two massive brands in Notre Dame and Wisconsin with both games in primetime on ABC. He's throwing the ball better than almost anyone else in college football right now, and he deserves way more Heisman talk than he's receiving so far. Give this man his due. I did read a national column the other day. I'll be honest. I do host, co-host a, a national college football show. I kind of thought he was getting the hype, but I read a national thing the other day that had Hendon Hooker from Tennessee as like the Heisman favorite right now. And CJ like in a mix with a bunch of other teams. And I was surprised by that. I know Tennessee is in the top 10 and has surprised some people, but I, I did find that odd. So maybe I'm missing that. Maybe I'm off on the national conversation about CJ and the Heisman because I kind of thought he was at the top of it. I know he is with the odds from the 2-1-0. Am I crazy in thinking CJ has no chance to win the Heisman unless he has multiple running TDs this year? Nearly every quarterback to win the Heisman, had to run the ball for either crucial first downs or touchdowns. I know Ryan Day wants to win the Heisman. Um, I know Ryan Day wants to win the Heisman, so his reluctance to run the quarterback is interesting. I don't want CJ to run, but I also want a Heisman for CJ to shove it back in stupid Desmond Howard's stupid face. So I do think this is an interesting conversation in sort of the highlights that a quarterback produces. We have one more, though. This is our guy Smokey Mango from the 614. Tinfoil hat time from Smokey Mango. I think that if you caught Ryan Day in a completely honest moment off the record, he would admit a small reason for rotating tailbacks, as often as he has, has been to do with getting CJ the Heisman. Obviously, the majority of the rationale in keeping them is keeping them fresh, and they're both playing extremely well. But I think he remembers 2019 with Fields, Dobbins, and Chase, and it stuck with him. The second that Jackson Smith and Jigba's injury was pretty severe, um, and his own Heisman candidacy eroded for JSN, Day made a decision that voters would only have one choice when it came to voting for an Ohio State player conspiracy over. So, Smokey, I love it. I don't think that's it. 
because this was I don't this was not going to be a Trey Heisman year. I don't think anyway. I think if Trey has a Heisman year, maybe mine has a Heisman year. It's next year. The idea of does a quarterback have to have running highlights? We were having a discussion about how many brain Heismans have been won. It is hard. I, I think maybe we already talked about this. Sometimes it can be hard to show how good CJ is because the best thing he does is avoid problems that never get started to be a problem because he diagnoses something early and makes a read, makes a throw, makes it look, quote, easy when a lot of other quarterbacks wouldn't make it look easy. So I do think Ohio State has has is going to wants to try to do something to promote what CJ does best, which maybe doesn't translate to highlights as well as some other guys. Because it's not crazy window throws. It's not gunslinger out of pocket stuff as much as although we, although we saw the Heisman, or excuse me, the Mayan throw on the sideline. Mayan Heisman. Maybe there's something there. Maybe will name is change his name to Meisman. If there's a can you imagine? My gosh, a Mayan Williams Heisman conversation at some point. That'd be crazy. It's harder to show I I think statistic like a a winning quarterback with big stats on an undefeated team is pretty persuasive and I think matches of a lot of what has produced Heisman's in the past. So I don't necess- I don't really agree with the idea that he has to run it, but I understand what the texture's saying in that if you're making the highlight reel for CJ if you showed CJ's 10 best plays, is it are a decent number of them throws to kind of open guys for big plays? Like he had, he ripped that one in the end zone. I think the Julian against Wisconsin, that was a little bit tight, right? But we almost said like, oh man, I don't even know if he should have thrown that, right? I don't know if I'll throw that next time. I do think it is a slight challenge, but I don't think running is it. I think it's almost like more spectacular throws, but the whole point is maybe his throws aren't, quote, spectacular because they're so smart, they don't have to be spectacular. There is a little, there might be a little bit of a needle to thread because, listen, Bryce Young doesn't run. He doesn't have running stats, but he might have a few more plays where he floats and is in the pocket moving around and then making a play. Where CJ, although we've seen him make plays you know, keeping plays alive more this year and out of pocket. We've talked about that a lot. He's doing it more this year. Um, It's still, he maybe just doesn't translate to highlights as well. I don't think it's going to be a huge issue in the Heisman race, but I think it's something that people are thinking about right now um, in sort of maybe preparing for his Heisman case. Okay. Last one. This is people who really think Ohio State is good. Hey, what a way to end it. From the 7-4, the 2019 LSU Tigers won 12 of their 15 games by 10 or more points. Ohio State will exceed that and win every game by double digits. If they win every game by double digits on the way to 15-0, holy guacamole. Um, this is a very specific thing from the 5-1-3. Alex from Cincinnati. Possible hot take. This is the best Buckeye team since the Super Softs and maybe better. That's 68. The best quarterback in the nation and a top five to 10 NFL draft pick. Two running backs that would start on any team in the country. A wide receiver room that could be all first round picks. The best wide receiver in the country. A dominant offensive line. A defensive line who can't be contained. Linebackers ready to make every play. See Tommy's tackle count. And a secondary slowly getting better with depth for for days. I truly believe this is the best and most complete Buckeye team I have ever seen. Love the pod, guys. So that is where we are starting to head after four games. That is not the only person 
to mention the Supersofts this week from the 804. This has to be the year. I repeat, this has to be the year to win it all. I've been watching Ohio State football since the Supersofts, and this is the most talented offense I've seen. They have the quarterback, great skill guys, a solid O-line that appears to be getting better each week, and the right coaching staff on both sides of the ball. All that is needed is an adequate defense that can at least contain the other offense, despite no superstars. This D seems to be building towards a very adequate complement to a high-powered offense. I hope I'm not setting myself up for disappointment, but I got a feeling. This is the year. Look out, Georgia. Thanks. That's Steve in Richmond. How can you get better than that? How can you get better than, is this the best team since 68 for Ohio State? Maybe by looking bigger picture from the 309. Okay. I hope I didn't miss my window because I have been thinking about this one for a week. After hearing last week in regards to which window was best for the best team ever, this year or next, I know you touched on this, but I felt like I had to give my two cents. In my opinion, we could be on the brink of a mini dynasty. Let's think about this. Comparisons to 2014 with young talent developing early and the defense coming along to complement a good offense. Also, no super team appears to be out there this year for this team peaking early to worry about. Also, the biggest competition, Georgia relies heavily on a tight end driven team, which plays more to Ohio State's strengths on defense. Also, in regards to one of, if not one of the biggest concerns for next year, tackle, offensive tackle, I believe Doug theorized that Paris Johnson could be the most important player slash offensive lineman in Ohio State modern history with a chance to be a top 10 pick and give street cred to Justin Fry and therefore make recruiting tackles more legitimate so they have more proof of concept. Well, I say maybe that works also in the transfer portal. Big time tackles like the Brown kid from Wisconsin or another big time kid coming in, they see Fry turn Paris into a first round pick and they want to come here. So... That's the mini dynasty conversation and then the golden age of Ohio State football conversation. This is Jeff in Maryland. I'm not sure if this is a rant or a take, but here we go. We are living through the golden age of Buckeye football. Not that that is a jaw-dropping idea to anyone. When Urban was hired, I was looking forward to that newfangled thing he was bringing called the forward pass. Fast forward a decade and we have a revolving door of incredible QBs, outstanding receivers, and a national reputation for something other than just the best tailbacks in the sport. The running back room hasn't dropped off, as we recently saw the fifth-string guy put up valuable yards a couple weeks ago, with an expectation that Ohio State will be in the playoff discussion every year, even before we expand to a 12-team playoff. I take it all in and love every minute of it. Too many fans start to nitpick when Ohio State misses a tackle or doesn't shut out every opponent, but I am greatly appreciative of what we fans have. I disagree with all the fans and commentators who say the games against the MAC are boring. For me, they are mere opportunities to take in three hours of fun, Buckeye Talk makes it all the better, and thanks for what you guys continue to do. So, best team ever, mini dynasty, golden age. When you look at what the past couple years have been, right, 2018 was a real defensive problem, and they fixed things, and here comes Ryan Day. 2019, they play a really talented Clemson team. They probably should have won in the semifinal and had a chance to take on LSU, which was a super team. 2020, they make the national championship game. 2021, they have an issue. They lose two games, um, but they address the biggest problems, which is defense and offensive line. They hire new coaches there. So when you look at this, they haven't won a national title, but as close as they were in 19 and 20, if 21 was a step back and they fix the issues, mini dynasty is tough because as long as Saban's here, I don't know. I've, I said they missed a chance in a mini dynasty when they didn't take care of business in 2015. I know what you're saying, right? And this is like to end a podcast with this. This is enough, not enough time to really talk about this, but it's the quarterback thing. I mean, there's people, I, there's a, a, an analytics person I follow who just like every week says, if you're not, 
If your number one priority isn't recruiting and developing the the quarterback position, you're crazy. It's all about the quarterback. And that Ohio State is so good at that right now. It's clearly the number one thing in the sport, the way the sport has evolved. Not that it always wasn't, but it's even more than ever. If you don't have a quarterback, you're not going to be elite. And that's what Ohio State does best. They do the thing best that matters the most. And that keeps you competitive. And then they fixed, it seems like they fixed, they certainly went after it, trying to fix the weak spot, right? O-line, run game, toughness, whatever, on the offensive side, and, and a new defensive coordinator, a new defensive scheme. So when you look at that, I don't know that Knowles is going anywhere, and I don't think the receiver quarterback situation is going to get worse. So... The foundational pieces are there for that. So so that idea of the golden age, could it be a mini dynasty? Saban stands in the way of that. And the fact that you are not in the South makes it harder. But I don't think it's a ridiculous conversation. And we can continue to have that during the course of this season and the offseason. Is this the best team since 68? So I always say like that 05 team that I covered with Troy Smith at quarterback, but also still A.J. Hawk and Dante Whitner and Bobby Carpenter and all those guys on the defense, plus the talent at receiver with Santonio Holmes and Ted Ginn Jr. And then uh, Antonio Pittman in the, in the running back room and all those things. That team was so good, but they played the team that won the national championship in week two, and they played probably the fourth best team in the country and lost in the middle of the year. So you have to look at that 2005 collection. This team has not been tested like that. And I don't know that they are going to be tested like that until the playoff. Not They're not going to face Vince Young, right? So it's a big thing to say, right? You look at the best of the Cooper teams. It didn't quite get over the top. Could you compare those teams to the Super Softs if they had, you know, they beat Saban? If they don't have the Michigan State upset loss in 98, like would you be, would we be talking about that? You put butts in there because they didn't get it done. The 0-2 team obviously is a little more of an underdog team. Is this team better than 14? I mean, with the level of quarterback play, it feels like it elevates everything. Is this the best team since the Super Softs? I'm not there yet in week four because um, I don't think we 1,000% know about the defense for sure, for sure, for sure yet. And there's just a stylistic thing that... It's just going to be hard until you see a guy like Bryce Young or Caleb Williams, like a really good quarterback. It's just going to be hard to know. And if we're talking about the super softs, right? If we're talking about, is it the greatest team in the last 50 years of Ohio State football? Like it's, we have to hold back on that. So I'm not there yet. I think it's fun that some people are there. And I understand that it's, the offense is so elite. And if the defense is fixed, that's how you get there. There's not a thing. Hold, it doesn't feel like there's a thing holding this team back right now. I still don't think the defensive level of talent reaches what Ohio State is at its best. And, and that is not a lack of belief in Ronnie Hickman or Tommy Eichenberg or Mike Hall or JT Tumaloa or Jack Sawyer or anybody else. I just think sometimes when you look, it's like, oh, this team had Dante Whitner and A.J. Hawk and Bobby Carpenter and a bunch of guys like that. Like, are they there right now? But And then that team had Troy and some great receivers. So that's where it's hard because that defense, I think, was supremely talented and the offense was pretty awesome too. So we'll leave it with that. Man, super soft. That's like as... 
what higher praise can you have for an Ohio State comparison? So roll that around with your friends. If you don't know about the Super Softs, ask some Ohio State fan, um, a friend of yours that does know about the Super Softs, and you can start having that conversation. We're four weeks in, and it's Rutgers Week. This is what you do in Rutgers Week. Those are the rants. If you want to be a tech subscriber and be able to send in rants, 614-350-3315. Read cleveland.com slash OSU. I always want to keep this to an hour, and I never can because there's too many good things that you guys send in. I'm Doug Maurice. That was another Rant Wednesday, and that was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.